I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. It is a special pod. Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz, Ben Ferguson with you. And also Senator Cruz's book, Unwoke, How to Defeat Culture Marxism in America. Congratulations, Senator. It's at number one in multiple categories right now on Amazon. If you haven't grabbed the book yet, get it. It's incredible. Uh, It is a special pod because it's the GOP debate. And I want to get your first overall thoughts on the night, Senator. Uh, I watched it. I didn't really think there was any big shock or anything that's going to catapult somebody out of this debate. Uh, I found parts of it a little fatiguing and just kind of boring. Your reaction? Well, I basically think that's right. Uh, we're sitting here right now. It's 1030 at night. The debate just ended. And um, I, I didn't see anything this evening that, that fundamentally changed the race. Uh, we are seeing the field start to winnow some. Uh, the last debate, there were seven candidates on the stage. This time there were five. And so you had Mike Pence has dropped out of the race. And you had Doug Burgum, who, who didn't make the threshold for, for this debate. And so the field winnowing is significant. Uh, I think you're seeing more and more that, that 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 the battle for who is the principal alternative to Trump it is shrinking down to DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Uh, you saw the other candidates on the stage. Chris Christie continues just just throwing throwing big bricks at Trump, but not not getting, as I see it, any significant traction. Uh, Tim Scott, I like Tim a lot. He's my colleague. He's my friend. But but he has been having real trouble getting traction in this race. And Vivek, look, Vivek had some some colorful moments, some fiery moments. But but at the end of the day, most of the dynamic tonight seemed to be a battle between DeSantis and Haley. And and you could tell they they were both uh, throwing some hard, hard shots at each other, trying to knock the other off and, and say, OK, I'm the lead person to take on Trump. 
You, you've you've obviously done this, been in a presidential debate, quite a few of them. And as that stage gets smaller and smaller, there is a perk, I think, for the voter. And that is much more of a substantive debate. There was one part of this debate that dealt with the border. Uh, it was a part where DeSantis, I think, was really trying to, to make himself be the front runner on border security issues. And it dealt with the issue of going after drug cartels uh, and actually using special ops to take them out. Here's part of what he had to say on the debate stage. Well, first, I uh, was speaking to a dad who uh, lost a son to fentanyl overdose. Son wasn't a drug addict. He had taken some pill that happened to be laced with fentanyl, and it was a fatal overdose. And when he told me, obviously, the pain of losing a child is as bad as it gets. But he said what was salt in the wounds is that these elites in D.C. don't give a damn about what's going on in this country. They don't care that we have tens of thousands of opioid deaths, that the fentanyl's pouring in. They are not taking the type of action we need to. We're declaring it a national emergency on day one. I'm sending U.S. military to the border. I'm going to stop the invasion cold. I am going to deport people who came illegally. And I'm even going to build the border wall and have Mexico pay for it like Donald Trump promised. How are you going to do it? Yeah, Mexico's not going to fork over money. We're going to impose fees on the remittances that foreign workers send to foreign countries. We'll raise billions of dollars. I'll build a wall. But we are going to designate the cartels to be foreign terrorist organizations or something similar to that. And we're going to authorize the use of deadly force. We're going to have maritime operations to interdict precursor chemicals going into Mexico. But I'll tell you this, if someone in the drug cartels is sneaking fentanyl across the border when I'm president, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to shoot them stone cold dead. We're going to shoot them stone cold dead. The audience absolutely erupted to that line uh, saying, hey, we treat them like terrorists. I want your reaction to that. So, look, I think on the fentanyl question, the answers from the candidates were all fine. Um, to be honest, many of the answers felt like talking points. Uh, there was very little done in terms of an indictment of Joe Biden. In fact, it, it was really hard to hear Joe Biden's name even tonight. It, it was yeah. really striking that the candidates didn't say Joe Biden's name and they didn't say Donald Trump's name very much. Both of them, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic right now. I think most people think the most likely nominees are Biden and, and Trump, and and yet the five on the stage rarely mentioned either name. Um, I think that was a strategic mistake. Uh, on the border, I, you know, I, I think it would have been more effective to see someone really vigorously, passionately litigate the case against Biden. This is a man-made disaster. Joe Biden created it. Joe Biden inherited the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years, and he came in and deliberately screwed it up, and he screwed it up by ending Remain in Mexico. He screwed it up by reimposing catch and release. He undermines the Border Patrol, and the president can fix this. And, and I got to say, I didn't hear any of the candidates really explain it. I don't know if they understand it or not, but they didn't explain it that this is one of the issues on which a president can fix it and can fix it immediately. And and, and that was not clearly articulated. I, I have to say the, the, the several of the candidates talked about using the military to go into Mexico and kill the cartels. I got to say, I think that position is loopy. Uh, our military doesn't invade sovereign nations. Uh, and and we should not start. We shouldn't be invading Mexico or Canada or anyplace else. Now, what I do think we need, and I've talked about this before, 
is something like Plan Colombia, which happened under George W. Bush when you had when you had the Medellin cartel, when you had a, a, a massive wave of drugs coming in. And President Uribe in Colombia asked for America's help, said, please come in and help us get rid of the drug dealers. And we did. We sent the military in and eradicated much of their leadership. I think that would make enormous sense. But I didn't hear anyone point out that to do this, you would need the Mexican government's approval that we should not be in the business of invading Mexico. And I think fundamentally, the reason people are saying, let's send the military in and invade Mexico is because they're not explaining what has caused this crisis. It is a deliberate, deliberate choice by Joe Biden, by Kamala Harris, by Alejandro Mayorkas, and by the Democrats in Congress to open up our borders. And that choice could be reversed immediately by a president who understood the problem and was prepared to say, if you are apprehended, you will be deported. We will put you on a plane. We will send you back. The numbers would plummet, both the numbers of illegal immigration and the numbers of, of, of drugs coming into this country would plummet. I'll mention something else also, which is on immigration, Vivek talked about our northern border, and he said another thing that I thought was was really kind of odd. And he said we need to build two walls, one on our southern border, one on our northern border. I don't know what the guy's talking about. The idea that we would build a wall on our border with Canada, um, number one, it would be a massive wall. That's a much, much bigger wall than our southern border. And, and number two, there is nowhere near the traffic to justify building a massive wall across what is in many cases open wilderness uh, between Canada and, and very sparsely populated parts of the United States. That was an odd policy recommendation. But I think, look, people are looking for something that sounds catchy and sexy to solve this problem rather than explaining and, and, and articulating what really caused it. I want to tell you about our dear friends over at Patriot Mobile. For 10 years, they are celebrating their decade uh, being in business. Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative, conservative wireless provider. And when I say only, trust me, they are literally the only one. The team at Patriot Mobile have been great supporters of not only the show, but they're also great supporters of our First and our Second Amendment rights. They're great supporters of children who are unborn, protecting their lives. And this is why I love them as a company. Right now, if you switch your cell phone to Patriot Mobile, they are going to give a donation for their 10th anniversary to a organization that supports the lives of unborn children. And then every month when you pay your bill, they're going to get back to conservative causes. So you know that when you make every phone call and every text message, you're standing up for what you believe in. You're supporting free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, and our military veterans and first responder heroes. They've got a 100% U.S.-based customer service team that makes switching your cell phone easy. You can keep the same cell phone number you have right now. You can keep your same phone or upgrade to a new one. And when you pay that bill every month, you know you're standing up for what you believe in. How do you switch? You just call them, 972-PATRIOT. Whether it's for you or your family or a business, 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Use the promo code VERDICT. You'll get the best deals of the year and free activation. That's 972-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com. Well, I want to get the facts compared to talking points so that people understand this and, and dive into this a little bit more. 
I, I hear the idea that we go after the cartel members and we treat them like terrorists and we use special forces to go after them. And, and, and yes, in theory, Senator, that sounds great. But in, if we're not welcomed and there's no indication that Mexico would welcome that right now, they haven't asked for it from what I understand, unless you know something different than what's been publicly reported. They're not begging or clamoring for us to come down there and take on the cartels. Could we do that? Could a president do that without the permission, just airspace and all the other logistics that are involved and go after these cartels that are bringing in fentanyl? Because it, that sounds like a great promise that, that may be very hard to fulfill legally. Look, could a president do that? A president's commander in chief, you could order the military to go in. But ordinarily, if you invade a, a, another country, that's considered a declaration of war and and and. Listen, I would love to send the military after the cartels if, if, if the Mexican government asked for our help. And to be clear, Colombia did, but it took it took the situation getting bad enough that they recognized they needed our help. And and one of the problems is, is under Joe Biden, because he's opened up the border, the cartels in Mexico have have increased their profits by two thousand six hundred percent. Back in 2018, they made roughly $500 million profits from human trafficking. Last year, they made $13 billion from human trafficking. The consequence of that is the cartels have become one of, if not the dominant player in Mexican society. We've seen crime rates skyrocket. We see murders and kidnapping and disappearing all across Mexico. It is tragic. We see Mexican politicians, Mexican journalists. We see prosecutors, judges threatened uh, at massive numbers. I sat down with 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 the mayor of Reynosa, a major American city right across from McAllen, uh, just a few weeks ago for lunch, along with several others in McAllen. He was describing how in Reynosa they've had roughly 6,000 people disappeared by the cartels. These are horrific numbers. And, and so Right now, at least, AMLO, who is viciously anti-American and has become more anti-American with a weak president like Joe Biden, would never, ever, ever invite the military in to take out the cartels. Now, AMLO is going to be out of office. The next president, we'll see what happens. But but I, I think the answers on illegal immigration were fine, but 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 none of them expressed a deep understanding of what, in fact, is happening. It was interesting as I was watching it, and I want to get your take. I was looking at these answers and almost like they were saying, I'm with Trump, too. And then Ramaswamy's like, I'm with Trump, and then I'll build even more wall in Canada. It was like an overreach there. There wasn't a, a, any sense of, of like ownership of their own ideas on how to deal with fentanyl, how to deal with China, and how to deal with the cartels, and how to deal with the southern border. It was regurgitating what I think it's like they'd all already heard that was popular. That concerned me as a Republican. Republican. Yeah. And, and remember, look, every one of these candidates is theoretically running to be the alternative to Trump. Having an immigration debate where nobody mentions the name Joe Biden and nobody mentions Donald Trump is just kind of weird. Yeah. Like it, it's it's sort of missing the point. It's people reading a few kind of, like I said, talking points without Acknowledging, number one, this is an area Trump had very significant success and and he negotiated the remain in Mexico deal. That was a big damn deal. It was a game changer. It was unbelievably successful. And then Biden on his first week in office ripped it to shreds and caused this crisis. And and, and to have that discussion 
without acknowledging that context, I, I, I think, let, let me put it this way. I don't think any of those candidates in discussing illegal immigration moved a single voter. And, and that, from their perspectives, is a problem. Yeah, it certainly is. There was also a grand debate uh, over pro-Hamas propaganda on TikTok. Now, we've had debates about TikTok before. Should it be banned? It's been banned on, on government devices, and many states have banned it from state government devices. Uh, is it a spying apparatus? And is also, in a sense, of mind control uh, where they're pushing propaganda in the face of young people, in the face of people on TikTok 24-7, what we saw after what happened with, with the attack on Israel is a massive, and, and there's data to back this up, a massive onslaught of pro-Hamas propaganda that was being pushed into the feeds, into the scrolling uh, of, of people that are on TikTok. This is the reason why I don't use TikTok. I believe it is nothing more than a Chinese uh, Communist Party spying apparatus and uh, propaganda machine. This was part of the debate. I want you to hear it, and I want to get your debate, uh, your, your reaction to it as well. We're going to stay on China, and we're going to talk specifically about TikTok. Last week, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who is chairman of the House Bipartisan Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, published a long essay on TikTok following the flooding of pro-Hamas propaganda onto TikTok accounts across the United States. Chairman Gallagher called it shocking. He called the app predatory, controlled by America's preeminent adversary, one used to push propaganda and divide America. It's spyware, he said, a means of surveillance. Governor Christie, do you agree with Chairman Gallagher? And if so, would you ban or force the sale of TikTok? I agree 100% with Chairman Gallagher. And let me say this. TikTok is not only spyware, it is polluting the minds of American young people all throughout this country, and they're doing it intentionally. And when you saw what happened in the last few weeks with all of this anti-Semitic, horrible stuff that their algorithms were pushing out at a gargantuan rate, this is China trying to further divide the United States of America. And this is one of the big failings among many of the Trump administration. He talked tough about TikTok. I heard him do it many times. But when it came down to it, he did not ban them when he could have and should have. And now since then, we've had an additional nearly six years of this type of poison being put out throughout the United States, even putting aside the spying which we know is going on in the theft of American personal data and information. So in my first week as president, we would ban TikTok. They want to go ahead and sell it, let them go ahead and sell it. But I'll tell you another reason we would do it. Facebook's not in China. X is not in China. They're not permitting a free flow of information to the Chinese people from our social media companies, yet we just open the door and let them do what they're doing. TikTok should be banned because they are poisoning American minds, and I would do it week one. Thank you, Governor. Senator, you, you hear those talking points that, that came there from um, a guy that actually I think is a pretty good debater, and, and yeah. it probably hit with a lot uh, of Americans the way that Chris Christie described them. And I think the compare and contrast with China is brilliant. He's like, look, they ban our stuff all the time. They don't let X in there, Twitter. They don't let Facebook in there. Why are we so shy as a nation to get rid of a, a, a of, of TikTok or, or force the sale? Your thoughts on that? Look, I, th I think you're right. I think Chris's answer there was quite good. 
Um, and and but but at the same time, one of the things that was striking is is as I saw it, there was basically complete agreement on TikTok across the debate stage. That that immediately after that, Hugh Hewitt asked uh, asked DeSantis if he agreed. He said he did. He asked Nikki Haley and 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 Ramaswamy. Uh, Vivek said that he agreed, although he he said more broadly that other tech companies are are sharing information with China. We need to crack down on that. He's right on that. Um, and and then he asked Nikki Haley, and Nikki Haley used it as a chance to punch back at other can other candidates on the stage who had attacked her on China generally. So so I didn't hear her answer the question. But look, the answers were were good, and and what you just played from Chris was well articulated. Again, I don't know that any of these answers are differentiating. When you get everyone on the stage agreeing, it's difficult to see what votes are being moved. If they're all saying the same thing, it's status quo. And 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 I will say, you know, Chris there saying, if I were president, I would ban it. I, you know, I, I would have liked to actually have seen a follow up from the moderator. Well, what under what legal authority would you ban it? Look, she and China can ban whatever the hell they want because it's a dictatorship. But but to actually ban something in America takes some legal authority. And it's one thing to say I would go to Congress and push legislation to ban it. That's that's a position that is a reasonable position for a presidential candidate to make. But but I have not seen an, a, an effective argument that the president has the unilateral power to wave a magic wand and suddenly say TikTok is banned in America. And, and if Christie has an argument for that, he certainly didn't articulate it. How would you ban it? I mean, explain to people how that would work legally. If you if let's let's say that any one of these people magically could do this instantly tomorrow. It's not as simple as as, as you just described it. Right. This is one of those empty promises in a campaign that, that people make, which drive voters insane. But what would it actually take to get rid of TikTok or force a sale? Oh, look. You could have, and there was discussion under Trump of trying to force a sale, and there, there are existing laws. There's, there's, there's a process called CFIUS that deals with foreign investment in the United States. I'm not saying it is impossible to come up with an argument of executive power to do this, but, but Christie did not present any argument under that, and, and I haven't seen a persuasive argument that it can be done as an executive matter. If it's not done as, as an executive matter, then it would take legislation, and you'd have to actually get get that to move through Congress. And it certainly has not moved yet. Um, I do agree. Look, TikTok, the Chinese government has has control of TikTok, the ability to monitor, monitor what's happening on TikTok. They are pushing very harmful messages. I think they are deliberately harming the United States. I think they are targeting our kids. They're targeting our kids with garbage. They're targeting our kids with self-harm messages. They're targeting our kids with with substance abuse and drug use messages. And and on Hamas, it has been horrific. The pro-Hamas propaganda that's being pushed uh, on on TikTok. Now, I will say that we saw um, we saw a back and forth where Nikki Haley slammed Vivek because he's on TikTok. Um, and, and he came back with a pretty good response and said, well, look, you know, all the lefties are on TikTok and we need to actually have some positive messaging there. I understand that argument. I'm not on TikTok myself, but 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 because of the Chinese control. But it worries me at time that if all conservatives abandon that platform and so many kids are, are following it, that 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 we're leaving it to be almost entirely negative. And so I thought Vivek's response there was pretty good until 
he went too far and he had a nasty shot at Nikki Haley where he said, well, your daughter's on it and you're a hypocrite. And 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 Nikki quite rightly got pissed off at that. Yeah, and, and, and this was this was that response for this point. It was a great back and forth. Uh, and if you missed it, here's what it sounded like. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which was about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. The easy gone. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. We have to ban any U.S. company actually transferring U.S. data to the Chinese. Here's a story most people. I, I'm going to jump back in there because you heard the back and forth where, where she even says you're just scum. Yeah, look, I, I think that was a very, very bad moment for Vic. When you're attacking someone's kid. She was exactly right to pop back at him. And, and and I just think that's out of bound. Don't don't attack people's kids. You you want you want to criticize the candidate. Great. But going after their kid, I, I, I think Vivek lost votes and lost support on that. And, and I think a lot of parents are like, leave the kids the hell out of it. And and and, and her reaction, the discuss she had where I, I think that was real. And, and that was, I, I think, one of the most consequential moments of the debate. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion when a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life and by six weeks the eyes are forming by 10 weeks a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb and for just 28 dollars you could be the difference between life or death of a child all gifts are tax deductible and i want you to donate all you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to move to Israel real quick and get your reaction. This obviously uh, has become a presidential election cycle that is that is heavy in now foreign policy. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, was asked a question about Israel. There's an obsession now. You and I talked about this uh, yesterday. Uh, there's an obsession by the left for a ceasefire. Now the White House is pushing for a ceasefire. Uh, Bibi has made it very clear. No, if you want a ceasefire, then release all of the hostages. Otherwise, we're moving forward uh, and, and we're not stopping until we get rid of Hamas. Uh, and, and now there's new warnings coming from the U.N. and even the White House about Israel. If you go too far in their words, they're now the, turning Israel into the bad guys. Also, what you predicted, they had a few weeks to do what they need to do. And after that, they were going to people were going to turn on them very quickly. But DeSantis said this when he was asked about America's foreign policy and, and Netanyahu. I would be telling BB, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country. That Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media. I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. And I can tell you, as governor, I actually did something about it. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, We had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida. I sent planes over to Israel, and I brought back over 700 people to safety. There could have been more hostages had we not acted. And I'll tell you this, I met the first plane load uh, when they came to Florida, and one of the mothers pointed to a six-year-old daughter, and she said, my daughter had been saying the last two nights, Mommy, I don't want to hear any more bombs, no more rockets. I just want to get back to Florida. So there's a difference between words and deeds. We acted and we saved lives. I thought that was a strong point, not just about American leadership and how we should make sure that we get people out of countries when we can. Uh, this is, I think, a, a clear, indirect shot, in, in essence, uh, at the president for what happened in Afghanistan and also what's happening now. But also him saying to Bibi, you can't expect him to do anything but what he's doing now to keep his people safe. He cannot live with terrorists next door. Now, th- th- that was an excellent answer. It was one of, if not the strongest moment of the night. Uh, It was excellent, both on substance that he was calling out the need to support Israel and destroying Hamas. He called out Biden. So unlike the other points I made where where they were reluctant to call out Biden, he went very directly at Biden. And and part of what made that answer so strong is is that DeSantis acted decisively. He, He had something to say there because as governor of Florida, sending those planes to bring Floridians home from Israel, that was a big deal. That was well done. That showed initiative. That showed leadership. It's part of why 
Ron has such a strong record as governor of Florida. As an executive, he's able to act unilaterally in a way the other candidates can't. It's not something, it's not like Chris Christie could suddenly send planes to take people to New Jersey. He does not have that capacity. Uh, Ron as governor did, but but no other governor did that. There are 50 governors in America and only one did that. And so it was a combination of substantively strong combined with a unique moment in his record that Ron was able to capitalize on. And and look, this is one of the things that, that I've been emphasizing. Debates are all about one of a couple of things. Number one, are you moving votes? Are you moving votes and moving them from whom? They've got to come from somewhere. So if you are adding to your vote total, you're taking votes from somebody else. For the candidates on that stage, if they're adding to their vote total, they're either taking votes from one of the other candidates on that stage or from Donald Trump. And and you do that through points of differentiation. If you all say the same thing, nothing changes. Well, that's an instance where what DeSantis was saying was different. And I, th- I think that was that was a differentiating moment. There needed to be more of those in the debate for, for, for the candidates Um I do think the field is shrinking. I think it is more and more becoming between DeSantis and and, and Haley. I, I think Nikki had a good and effective night. She's articulate. She defended herself well. Um, there were lots of shots coming at her. Uh, but um, I, I, I think all of the candidates would have been better off by having more differentiators between themselves and the other people on that stage and critically between themselves and Trump and between themselves and Biden. Do you think, lastly, on the debate that there will be this many candidates on the next debate stage or do you think there will be more that fall off? And it goes to, as you mentioned earlier, that DeSantis, Nikki Haley, you know, kind of two people. So so I don't know. Um, I have read the press speculation. So the RNC has increased the threshold for the next debate. Uh, and at least the press speculation is that Tim Scott is unlikely to clear that next threshold. I don't know if that's right. And we'll see where things are. But I do think falling off the debate stage is is effectively fatal in this race, that if you're not there, uh, it is difficult to see how a candidacy survives if it can't make the debate stage. Um, I don't know if Christie makes this the debate stage or not. I just I, I, I have not looked at his numbers closely enough to see if, if if he would make the stage. It would be a very different debate if it were down to three people. I think the three that that will make it for sure are DeSantis, Haley, and probably Vivek. His numbers are strong enough. And I will say, so in 2016, when I was doing debates, and this is true of every debate that, that, that I do, you, you try to think in terms of moments. Do you have a moment that, that catches fire, that goes viral, that results in fundraising? So if you have a really good moment that catches fire the next day and even that night, your fundraising can explode. I had debates where within 24 hours we'd raise millions of dollars because you had a moment that really just just resonated. Um, it, it And it can move votes. You know, when we had a great debate, it was striking where we'd go to events and events that used to have 300 people would have 2000 people. And, and and it was an immediate effect of a really strong debate. And so you that, can feel it, it. I mean, it's no joke. You can really feel like, wow, we really did well last night because the people showed up for us today. Yeah. And, and so there were not a whole lot of moments like that. Now, I will say Vivek had a, a good moment in his opening and his opening. He blasted the RNC and it was memorable. 
and he blasted the debate moderators. And if you have that clip, you ought to play that because that was uh, that was one of the more striking moments of the debate. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. It was a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. Do you think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross, this is how we get our country back. Because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramaswamy, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn to That's Governor, Governor Christie. Why you? And by the way, I love how fast he, he, he jumped in there to take those blows, which, by the way, his attack on that debate moderator is accurate. She did, in fact, push the Russian hoax for years on yep. the network. So listen, I will say that that was a striking opening. I mean, that 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 is unusual. That may be unique in the, in the history of presidential debate openings um, and it will be memorable. Um, I'm not sure uh, that it moved a lot of votes, but it's the sort of thing that will go viral online. It's the sort of thing there was fire flowing. Now, it, it also feels a bit performative. So, for example, unloading. On on Ronna McDaniel. Listen, I'm frustrated. We're all frustrated at the election results last night and that we've had multiple elections with with results that 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 were subpar. And and, and we can have long discussions about why that is. I got to say, it is a bit of a weird argument to say it's Ronna McDaniel's fault. Like, like, I'm sorry, the head of the RNC is not winning or losing national elections. And so what I felt that was um, it, it is really Vivek has run his whole campaign, never, ever, ever criticizing Donald Trump. So he didn't want to blame Trump. And and so Rana was kind of a convenient whipping boy for that. Uh, but but the sort of solution he was pointing to is you need to resign. I, I, I thought was less effective. And, and you could point to Trump. You could point to Mitch McConnell. You could point to to candidate selection as to why we lost. You could point to messaging. But but. Targeting Rana on there, I thought was odd. Um, look, going after the media is pretty much always a good strategy in a Republican debate. And I will say his substantive point is exactly right. And something I've called for for a long time. I believe Republican presidential primary debates should only be moderated. 
by people who will vote in a Republican primary debate. If you look at Democrat primary debates, you have media journalists, all of whom are Democrats, who moderate the debates. And every one of the moderators wants one of the Democrats on the stage to win. If you look at many Republican debates, they're moderated by journalists. Often, all of them are going to vote in the Democrat primary, and they want every person on the stage to lose. And, and so tonight, the only person on that stage who's going to vote in a Republican primary is Hugh Hewitt. And I thought Hugh did, did an admirable job. I like Hugh. He's a smart guy. He's very knowledgeable on foreign policy and national security. I thought he did an admirable job. And, and I did think Vivek's point about Welker pushing the, the, the Russia hoax was, was really, it, it scored. I will say it would have been more effective if the moderators had been more blatantly biased. And, and I will say I did think that, that, that Welker and Lester Holt d- did not do a bad job tonight. There have been debates uh, where, where we've seen moderators do horrible, horrible jobs and make it all about themselves. And, and here I, I, I thought the moderators were fairly restrained. Um, and, and, and did a good job of not making it about themselves. And it's striking there, even at the end, after he blasts Welker, where she doesn't engage, she just says, okay, you know, moving on. And, you know, when it comes to authenticity, I mean, that, that whole riff felt to me a bit like a performance piece because he was resolved to blast the moderators before they'd done anything. I think it would have been more effective in response to demonstrated bias and, 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 I didn't see nearly as much bias from the moderators as we've seen in other debates. Yeah, great point. It was like you said, when sometimes you have lines that you get ready for and you look for, and he played that hand before they showed their bias in this debate. uh, And it may have looked, like you said, too pre-planned there. I want to tell you uh, about Augusta Precious Metals. You may have noticed that gold prices have gone up significantly over the last few weeks. And that is because of uncertainty that's going on around the world, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's with our our debt in this country, Wall Street and how it's reacting, interest rates and inflation. And if you're like me and you've wanted to buy gold for years, there are lots of commercials out there. But who can you really trust? Well, I want to tell you about Augusta Precious Metals. They give you information, they give you knowledge, and they will talk to you about how if you have an IRA or a 401k and you want to buy physical gold and eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, you can do that with Augusta Precious Metals, with the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. Now, I used it personally to vet Augusta Precious Metals, and I bought gold from them myself. You can use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company. So check out Augusta Precious Metals right now. Go online to AugustaPreciousMetals.com or you can get the integrity checklist today by texting the word BEN, that's B-E-N, to 68592. Text the word BEN to 68592. Or you can call them, 877, the number 4, gold IRA. That's 877 the number four, Gold IRA, or AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Last question for you, a little comedy and congratulations 
Jimmy Kimmel is uh, promoting your book, Senator. I'm very excited about this. I also am waiting for the restraining order because he's absolutely obsessed with you. Uh, Your new book that is out, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. He gave it a primetime promotion on his show last night. Here's what it sounded like. Ted Cruz has a new book. It's called Unwoke. It's uh, he's you know what? He's so cool. He's um, you can tell it's Ted's book because the dust jacket doesn't quite fit. It won't <laughs> won't button in the front. But this is Cruz's fifth book. The last one was called Ted Cruz, A Time for Truth. See him there without the beard. He also wrote Ted Cruz Head Ooze. Um, he wrote Glued Pubes, the guy for guys who can't grow a beard. Of course, the New York Times bestseller, A Partially Digested Rat, and other things I found in my chin pouch. There are many interesting musings and revelations in the books. Uh, he says The Princess Bride is his favorite movie, and he's seen it hundreds of times, which is definitely not true. No one's seen anything hundreds of times. And apparently, he's not a big fan of late-night television. This is an excerpt, real excerpt he wrote. A late-night TV is virtually unwatchable. I love comedy, but watching angry leftists scream about how much they hate Donald Trump isn't remotely funny. It's pitiful. Well, all I'll say is it's an honor to be called pitiful. <laughs> By a man who abandoned his dog in an ice storm to go to Mexico. But congrats, Ted. And seriously, I do want to say, you know, writing writing a book like this is a a huge accomplishment, especially for him. You know, it's very difficult to type with hooves. I mean, Senator, it doesn't it prove your point that you just wrote in your book? That was the part that made me laugh is as he's forcing this comedy on the audience and there's some awkward laughter. It's like, yeah, thanks for proving the point of what you just wrote about in your book. Sure. Look, I mean, it was when when he did that last night. I actually tweeted his monologue out this morning and I said, hey, thank, thank, thanks for pitching my book. You forgot the link to where you can buy it. And I sent the link and, and, and I did something that, that, that is, is fairly obligatory also, which is Kimmel regularly blasts me in his late night monologues. And every time he does, uh, I respond and, and I point out that, that, that ever since I, I whipped Jimmy Kimmel's ass in one-on-one hoops, uh, it seems that I'm living rent free in his head. Uh, and so I sent a, a video of me scoring on him and blocking him just to remind him of, of, of that moment that I think he probably still wakes up in, in tremors about. But I thought it was hysterical. What he read there was an actual excerpt from the book and then he put, put up the book, book cover. And I, I, I think that's fabulous, but I do wish the substantive point that late night humor I wish was actually funny. I love comedy. I grew up watching SNL. I like real comedians who are funny and they used to be funny. And now it's one of the many examples that I discuss it at length in, in the book on woke, how, how Trump broke the media, Trump broke the Democrat party and Trump broke late night comedy because they, they just, it's a partisan primal scream instead of good comedy makes fun of both sides. I'm perfectly fine with making fun of me, but they never, ever make fun of the Democrats. It's purely a I am leftist. Hear me roar. 
Yeah, it's a great point. Don't forget, grab the book, especially, you know, now that Jimmy Kimmel's promoting it. Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Uh, congrats, Center. It's number one in multiple categories right now on Amazon. You can grab it right now on Amazon. It'll get to you really quickly. You can grab a copy for a great Christmas gift as well or wherever you get your books. It is out now. Uh, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Uh, and, and there's also another liberal book, by the way, that you were beating earlier today. Just a little side note. Uh, Rachel Maddow has her new book out, and you were ahead of that, uh, which made me just grin a little bit, Senator. Well, uh, that is a good thing, and 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 beating the uh, lefties is, is is a great American pastime. There we go. Don't forget, the show is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Hit that subscribe, auto-download, or, or, or follow button, because if you don't, you'll miss special pods like this one when we give you debate reaction uh, on a normal night where we don't do it. So make sure you hit that subscribe, auto-download button as well, uh, and give us a five-star review. And the center and I will actually see you back here tomorrow for our, our regular episode on Friday, and we'll see you then. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.